Have you ever been questioned, like, ruthlessly? Sometimes you have friends, I bet, that they're the question friend, right? Like, you say something, and then they keep asking question after question after question. And pretty soon you're just, like, overwhelmed, like, ah! Some of you are probably putting a face in your head right now. It's Joe, or it's Sally, but they just are always asking questions. Before I got married, my father-in-law pulled me aside one afternoon and he began to interrogate me. He wanted to know, was I the right person for his daughter? And what began with just a few minutes became like hours and hours and it just felt like, ah! And it just kept going on and on and on and on. And to be honest, when that was all over... I did not like that man. I did not like him at all. But now, I have two little girls. A seven-year-old and a five-year-old. And I think my father-in-law is brilliant for questioning like that. I mean, to be honest, who would trust a joker like me that looks like this? I mean, wouldn't you have a little doubt of, you know, allowing that person to marry your daughter? And so I'm glad that he gave some questions. Now, in our story today, Jesus is in this group of people, and the religious leaders start interrogating him. And it wasn't just one leader, but it was multiple leaders. Pharisees, teachers of the law, the temple elite. And they start asking him the impossible questions of faith. They try to trip him up in public because he's become kind of this rock star teacher and he's taking some of the attention away from them. And they just keep grilling him hour after hour after hour. Well, Jesus answers every single question, and they finally realize that they're not going to trip him up this day, and so they're like, all right, let's pack it up, we're out of here. And they're just getting ready to exit, and Jesus is talking to some of his followers, some of his disciples, who are standing there, and this is what he said. Beware. In other words, you watch these people. Beware of the teachers of the law, the people that are just leaving. They like to walk around in flowing robes. They want to be fashionable. They want to get all the attention. And they love to be greeted with respect in marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor. In other words, they want the front row seats at the banquets. They crave the spotlight. They ache for attention. They'll do anything to keep the celebrity process going. Because if you were a religious leader in this day and age, you weren't just a religious leader, you were a political figure as well between the Jews and the Romans. Look at verse 7. 47. They devour... They devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers in front of everybody to show off. And then Jesus concludes by saying this, And these people will be punished most, what's the last word? Severely. So here are some religious leaders. And they are devouring. Think about that. They devoured the homes of widows. Now this concept of being devoured can also mean they misappropriated the funds. They misappropriated the funds. A little slight hands, a little slight of hand with the widow's home. Now many scholars believe that in Jesus' day, these people love to have the spotlight on them. They love to dress in these fancy robes. They like the courtside seats at all of the big public events. And they would meet with these widows 
in the temple, they would meet with them for grief counseling. So a woman's husband dies, and the husband is a member of the temple. And in the middle of her grief, some of these religious leaders would pull them aside and they would say, Hey, do you know what the best thing you could do to honor your husband would be? Is if you gave your house to the temple and to the things of God. That would show everyone that your, your husband was devoted to God and that you are devoted to God. And sometimes in the middle of this great grief, widows would sign over the deeds of their home to these religious leaders. But rather than it going to the temple, they would take the wealth, they would auction off the money, and then they would kind of like divvy it up between all of the other leaders so that they could walk around in these nice religious robes and they would have courtside seats at all the events. And Jesus sees this going on, and he's ticked off. He's like, seriously? This makes me sick. That people, in the name of God, would prey upon widows. And then pocket the money for themselves, and then they would say, it was from God. And Jesus said that these people should be punished how? Severely. Severely. You see, Jesus had an affinity for widows. Most scholars believe that Jesus' mother Mary was a widow at a very young age. Joseph died and Mary was there to raise the family by herself. And Jesus had this high sensitivity for widows. Because his mom was a widow and he, he was, you know, raised by a single mom. But regardless, Jesus just continually throughout his life, he would see the need to care for the widow. And he knew all that was in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible that said, take care of the widows, God would say. And so that's what he did. And he had a disdain for the religious leaders. And what they did. So one day, Jesus is just like hanging out at the temple. And the story goes like this. It'll come up on the side screen. Let's read this story out loud together, okay? Let's read it out loud. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasure. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. So Jesus is standing at the temple treasury, the offering box, and he's noticing all of these people walk by and give something, and he, his eye is drawn to this poor widow who gives two small copper coins. And I was thinking to myself this week, what if this particular widow was like the widows that Jesus was saying were being devoured by the religious leaders? What if her house was gone and she was living in the basement of one of her relatives and she was just barely making it by on a minimum wage? And what if she decides that in the midst of everything that's going on, though, she gets this prompting from God that even with the little earnings that she has, she wants to give it to God because she wants to be known as a giver. And so the very institution, folks, that had swindled her out of her house, and she's still grieving, she feels prompted to give. And so she takes the walk, heading towards the temple, who has taken her house, 
And she walks in and she says, I will give to God anyway. And I will forgive the religious leaders. She walks in, she drops her two coins in. Not grumpily. But she says, God took care of me yesterday. God's taking care of me today. God's going to take care of me tomorrow. And she gives what would be pennies today. Now, if that's the way that it happened, it's like this woman is saying, even though I was swindled out of the money, I forgive people. And God, all the people around me are saying, God, you don't protect me. Look at the plight of my life now. You don't protect me. But God, I know I'm still alive. You have never stopped blessing my life. And so God, I want to give back to you. Because God, I trust you. Now this is what I think is really cool. 2,000 years ago or so, this event took place. And we're still talking about it today. I bet when that widow came to that offering box that first day, she didn't go, hey, you know, I'm going to give this so that my name would have a legacy for the rest of my life. She just went to give generously. But think about it, folks. We still talk about her story today. An extraordinary widow who gave an extraordinary gift. And you know what? This is a story, folks, that's not just in church world. People in the secular world, they've heard about the widow's might. That the widow gave everything. They're like, oh yeah, the widow's might. It's still in our culture today. Now, she's the main character of this story, but there are some other characters in this story as well. The wealthy people who come and they give something of great means, and it's not bad. It's not a bad thing at all. Jesus isn't condemning any of those individuals who walked on uh, by that day to the offering box. Now, we're told, though, that their gifts were quite large. It didn't take much of a sacrifice. Now, maybe when they gave their gifts and they took it back in the back and, you know, the counters are starting to count the money, they're like, whoa, look what they gave. And then they pull a little bit more and, Finally, they get like to a couple pennies. They're like, who gave that? You know? But these people were giving out of their excess. And it might have registered great on planet Earth, but it wasn't even on the radar screen <laughs> when it came to heaven. You know what was on the radar screen in heaven? The woman who gave all that she had to God. So then you're like, okay, well, what do we do with this? What do we do with this story? What do we do with this teaching that Jesus gives to us? Well, I'd like to make a few observations. The first one's obvious, but I just cannot help not saying it, I guess. Is that devouring widows' houses or oppressing widows in any way is an unthinkable kingdom defense. Oppressing any widow, oppressing any single mom in any way is an unthinkable kingdom offense. Now, some of you might be sitting there and you're like, does that thing kind of still happen today? I mean, seriously, that's like a long time ago. Does that still happen today? Yeah, it happens today. When a certain TV preacher stands up and offers to give to send prayer cloths or holy water or special crosses for $49.95 in exchange for physical healing or your burden being lifted. It still happens. It happens when churches hire high-powered fundraising organizations to come in and to learn how to and they've learned how to target the aged and the lonely and they target them out of their retirement funds and out of the deeds of their house. It still happens today. And it shouldn't. 
It should never happen. You should never be a part of anything that is taking away from the widow or the single mom. Those of us who are followers of Christ should do everything within our power to make sure that we take care of the widows and the single moms who are being oppressed or taken advantage of in this way. But we should also, and this is my prayer for our church, we also should actively be involved in caring for them ourselves as a church. And that's why a couple of months ago, a group of people, our community care team, led by Bonnie Wynn, got together and came up with this great idea called Operation Shop. And sometimes single moms and widows, they do okay, but it's hard to get through stuff at the end. And so we're like, well, what's something that people could shop and then they could give? And so we had 65 people who signed up to give just a little extra. I think about our outreach at the YWCA that Pam Young uh, helps lead and all the things that we've done for women. And there are women here today. They're from the Y. Why are they here? Because this one, we are a church that wants to care for those single moms. And Grief Share, that uh, Nancy Barrett and Marilyn Brooks, they help lead. Why is that so important? Because when people are grieving, sorry, I always say it the wrong name. It's Marilyn Casey, but this is Frank right here. Frank, raise your hand. That's her new husband. They love each other. It's great. So. But we do Grief Share when people are battling grief. Because we don't want widows to walk through that by themselves. In fact, I was looking at a scripture this week. James chapter 1, verse 27. Simply puts it this way. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. And it looks what it says. Let, let's read this after the colon. Let's read it out loud. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And we do that with our outreach that we do with Kenya. Orphans, widows, how do we care for them? I kind of had a strange thing happen to me last Sunday. I was greeting some people and uh, a woman came up to me and she said, Hey, uh, my daughter-in-law, her grandmother, who is a widow, is um, not doing very well. And they don't expect she's going to live much longer. And I wondered if you would pray for her and maybe give her a call. And I said, sure, that's no problem. I'll do that. Now, our pastoral care that happens here in the jar is not just done by Chris. So if you're ever in the hospital, you're sick, you're going through a crisis, there may be somebody else that does that. We have a team of people that take one week each month that they go and they visit the hospital, they pray for people, they care for the sick. And last week was not my week. And I had the baptism class right after uh, Sunday. And then we were having some friends over for dinner that night. And my wife was like, make sure you're on time. Get the chicken on the grill, you know. And uh, so I really didn't have a lot of time to do this on Sunday. And I knew that the person that was on pastoral care would go ahead and visit this uh, widow and her family. But I was walking out of the church and uh, after the baptism class, and I, I just kind of got this prompting from God that I needed to be the one to go and visit this widow. And so I took a drive to Yorktown and went to this nursing home, and I walked in, and they told me what room number, and I go to the room number, and I walk in, and the daughter-in-law's there, and the daughter's there, and uh, the widow, the grandma is in the bed. And they are all like, guys, thank you so much. You didn't have to come. You really didn't have to come. A phone call would have been just fine. You didn't have to do that. And I was like, well, you know, I, I just wanted to come and, and be here. And I learned that this woman's name was Alice, and that she had been on dialysis for a long period of time. And uh, she had finally decided, that's it, I, I'm done with that. And uh, she was going to die soon. And to kind of help her out, 
with the pain that she was experiencing, they gave her some morphine. Eventually, the conversation got to a point where Alice is in the bed and she goes, Honey, why don't you come over here and sit by me? And the daughter's in that chair, you know? And it's like, daughter, get up. Come on over here, honey. So I walk towards Alice and she says, how about a hug? I'm like, okay. So I reach down, I give her a hug. I sit in the chair and we talk a little bit more and time goes on. And then all of a sudden I get this thought, you got to get the chicken on the grill, dude. And so I'm like, hey, Alice, glad, you know, I was able to come today, but can I just pray for you? And this is what she said. She goes, I was praying and hoping that you would. And so I prayed for her. The prayer was done. And she said, how about another hug? And how about a kiss, too? Now, at that point, I'm thinking to myself, lady, my wife doesn't give me that much affection sometimes. <laughs> like, seriously? So I reach down, I give her a hug, I give her a little kiss, and all of a sudden she starts grabbing my arm like this. She's like, I just wanted to cop a feel. <laughs> now, I just want you to know That seminary does not teach you what to do at that point. So I'm there and she's copping a feel like this and I don't know what to say. So I'm like, go for it. You know, (laughs) well, I get in the car and I take off and I'm heading, uh, I'm heading home. And all of a sudden I just, I just get this affirmation. From the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you ever get that very much. But there are times in which God, through His Spirit, reaches out to us and says, That a boy, that a girl. You were just being kind to someone. Thank you. You were serving someone secretly. You didn't lose your temper in the middle of a heated debate. I'm proud of you. You know, there's just times when I go through my day, it's not an audible voice, but I just sense in my spirit that God's saying, Chris, I'm so proud of you. And it wasn't that I was on this public stage and I was talking to people, but it was just visiting a poor widow in a nursing home. And I'm in the car and I'm driving and I'm just sensing that God's saying, Chris, I love you. You did the right thing today. You listened to my prompting. And you did it with joy. And I'm like crying. I'm like, God, it really wasn't that big a deal. You know? Okay, okay. And this is what I sensed in the middle of that. That some of the smallest things that you do when you're prompted by God is a big deal. It's like a really big deal. And no one maybe sees your secret service. And no one sees when you visit the widow. But it's a big deal. And before I move on, I just want to make this observation. Or, or this challenge to you. Have a special ear to the widow and the single mom. Just like have a special ear that when you're driving in your neighborhood and you know there's a single mom or you know someone's a widow, that you just drive by and you say, God, if you want to use me in any way to care for this person, God, I'm available. Or maybe it's someone here in church a single mom or a widow, that you just say, you know what, I want to invest in them. Is there anything I can do? Well, here's my second observation. Jesus notices offerings. Jesus notices 
offering. Now, Jesus easily on this particular day could have just walked on by the offering box. But for some reason, Jesus like walks right to it and he's like noticing people going by and he notices what they're giving. You know what I think today? Jesus still notices our offerings. He still notices them today. They don't escape his notice. He looks and he sees what's going on. Now, most of the time, because I've watched it before, most of the time when the bag's being passed or when an offering's being taken, in our culture, we've learned not to look. You know what I mean? You kind of like put your head away. I don't really want to know. Just kind of put it away. Now, the church that I was raised in, they had these gold plates that they would collect the offering in. I think we got a picture of them here. But they would have these gold plates that they would pass up and down the aisle. And as a kid, I used to take like Bibles or hymnals because I wasn't tall enough to see. And I'd put them on the the, uh, pew and I'd kind of rev up for that part. And I'll never forget one time. All of a sudden the offering thing's going by and I'm looking, Bill gave $5. Bill drove up in a Cadillac today. He gave $5? Serious? Like, I'm only six or seven? I'm like, really? And uh, I remember another time. Kenny, who was the postmaster guy, plate goes by, and there's a $100 bill in the offering. I'm thinking to myself, God, you've answered my prayer. You know, like, put your hand in there. Like, Kenny got a raise. Holy cow. Well, eventually, people did that for a while, but some people didn't do that, and they got this idea of getting some offering envelopes, and they gave you 52 of them. Do you know why? So, they'd get these offerings, and then I was talking to my dad this week, and he said what they did was, then they decided... What each adult should give. So they figured out what the amount was, and they were like, hey, everybody should do this. And some of the wealthy people gave a little more. Maybe those who were a little bit more poverty stricken gave less. And they kind of made the budget over the years, but they didn't talk a whole lot about money. And that's one way to do it, I guess. But I'm not so sure it's the right way. Because it doesn't take into account the real heart concept of what's going on when you give. That's the third observation in this passage. You see, Jesus notices an offering. He looks straight into the heart of people. You see, folks, Jesus honestly is more concerned about your heart than he is what you give. Jesus notices an offering. He doesn't just look at the amount that is going in, but Jesus looks straight into the heart of people. Jesus not only knows what you're giving, but he knows why you're giving. And you know what? From his perspective, the why is much more important than the what. One example is the widow's mite. It wasn't much. It was just a few pennies. But it impacted Jesus on that day. He knew all of the spiritual business that had transpired in that widow's heart for her to make that decision. And he knows the business that goes on in your heart when you make an offering. He knows the business that goes on in my heart when I give an offering. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but there are some offerings that are quite sizable. And it makes God sick. And there are some offerings that are quite small. And all of heaven rejoices. 
several years ago, uh, we were doing a mission trip to Mexico, and we were collecting some money for people to go, to give to the people that were there. And a couple guys uh, came up to me, and they said, hey, we'd like to give financially. The first guy uh, owned 13 rentals, and he had a houseboat, pretty affluent kind of guy. And when he gave me his gift, he was really, really proud of it. He was like, here. And he wanted me to kind of know the size of the gift. And he wanted me to be impressed by the gift. And I thanked him for it, and then we went on our way. And I just remember in that moment that this guy was so proud, but I wondered if he gave his best gift. Around that same time, while we were collecting this money, there was a guy from the Muncie Mission who came to me. He had no home. He had no wealth. And he came to me and he said, I I found this a couple years ago and I've been holding on to it, but now I want to give it to the people who will go to Mexico. And this is what he gave me. A $500 Mexican peso. It's worth about 50 bucks, maybe less. And I knew that this guy, that was more money than he would make in a, a month. And so I took it. I said, no, 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 no. You take this back. He's like, no, 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 no. I really want to give it. I want to see the jar and the people that go impact the lives of the people in Mexico. And I remember leaving from that place going, you know what? That guy gave his best. Like he gave his best. You know, I'm often convicted in my own personal life Do I give God my best? There's times when I'm putting a teaching together on Sunday. And I think to myself, you know, is that the best work you could do, Chris? Is that the best? And I'll sense from God sometimes, Chris, I've only ever given you my best. Would you give your best in return? Sometimes uh, I'll notice in my staff, the church staff, that people start getting a little bit lazy. And I'll tell them, I'll say, ultimately, guys, you don't work for me. You don't even work for the jar. You work for God. And he's only ever given you his best. Would you give him your best? In return. I've never been afraid either to talk to volunteers. You volunteer for hospitality, set up, tear down, jar kids. When you volunteer and you give of your time, do you give your best? And it's kind of cool because this is what happens. It's like when we give our best, God's already given his best and it kind of like meshes And there's a beautiful thing that happens. And so let me ask you, when it comes to giving, do you give your best? Now last week, if you were here, you remember I challenged people to become percentage givers, not just emotional givers. Because if you just give when you're emotional, when it's real high, you'll give. When it's real low, you're like, ah, forget that, you know. And so... I encourage people, whether it's 2%, 5%, 10%, 20%, that they would just say off the top, God, you've given me some earnings, and I feel confident that you're going to provide for my needs, so I'm going to give to your church and the things that you do around this world. God has given me some earnings. He wants me to be responsible, so I need to save some. It's a good thing to pay my bills. And then I should have some kind of giving plan. 
as well. And I was kind of really um, just broadsided, I guess you would say, this week. I had about six or seven people either stop me or call me and say, I really want to be a percentage giver. Like, I want to give off the top. Because God has been so good to me. But every single one of them I talked to, they said, it's hard for me because I don't carry a lot of cash. I said, okay. And they said, you know, checks. I don't write checks anymore. But even if I did write a check, I'd forget to bring the checkbook. And I pay all of my bills electronically. And I do all of my banking electronically. So, do you have a way to give electronically? I was like, yes. (laughs) You do. So, in your program, if it's helpful for you, we have a little form here that says enroll in the JAR secure electronic giving option. And you can write it down, and you can become a percentage giver. And you can mail it to the church office, you can drop it off, but it'll all be secure. You know, folks, I really dream of the day, I do. I dream of the day that everyone in the JAR will be percentage givers. That they will say, God, you've given me so much earnings that I'm willing to honor you with this percent. Every time earnings come in, I rejoice with it. Because it's all from God anyways. See, it's not something that you have, it's something that He's given to you. And that they'd be able to say, all my earnings come from your hand, God, and I could be living in a third world right now. I could be in the middle of a war in Iraq or Syria or somewhere else, but I'm not, God. I'm in a very prosperous country. I'm here. I'm healthy. I have a job. And I'm joyful, God. I'm really joyful. See, that was the thing about the widow who gave. She gave joyfully. And I joyfully give a percentage to you. I dream of the day that all jarheads will be percentage givers and that they will grow themselves, whether it's 2% or 5%, up to 10% tithe, 1% increase each year to where you give generously to Christ and the things that he's doing in this church and around the world. Now, if you're new here today, you're like, oh gosh, I picked this day to come. You know, you're like, seriously? Well, we teach on a lot of different things, and this is one of the things we teach on, and we're not ashamed about. But if I was new, I'd want to know, why do you give, preacher boy? You're up on that stage. Do you give? I do give. You know why I give? I give, first of all, because I want to honor God for all that He has blessed me with my life. And I want to be generous. I don't want to be a tightwad. I want to be generous because I was a tightwad most of my life. And so that's one reason. The second reason I give is that I never get tired of people's lives being changed because I had an opportunity to financially give. I never get tired of it, folks. There are many things that I have wasted my money on. But I have never wanted to get any money back from what I give to the church because lives have been changed. There were five people that met in a house, and now there are 300 people that are meeting, and it's because people early on said, God has blessed us, and we will financially give for more lives to be changed. Some of those lives will be changed this evening. Thirteen people will be getting baptized at Prairie Creek Reservoir. And I hope that whatever's on your schedule, that you move it and you come to this. 
Because there's nothing more powerful, folks, than watching changed lives be baptized. And 13 people will be doing that. And so there'll be food, there'll be fun, and I just want to encourage you to come and be a part of it. And if you come, bring something. Don't be tight. Bring something, okay? And they've got, I don't know it's in your program, what you're supposed to bring if your last name's this or that. I don't know that stuff, read it, okay? <laughs> but, I, last Sunday... At the baptism class, there were several people that shared their story. And then the other people wrote their story down. And you know what I'd love? I'd love to have all 13 of their stories shared to you. But I know some of you want to get to Bob Evans before it's too late. So because of that, we're not going to do that. But this is what we did. We asked all the individuals to think of one word that described their life before Christ, and then one word that described their life after Christ, to write it on a white poster board, and we put a video together, and I'd like you to check it out. This is where I That's worth clapping twice, I think. Folks, that's why I give. For change lives. And not just change while they're here, but it's an eternal change. You know, God notices our giving. He really does. He notices when we're joyful and we're grateful. And we're like, God, I want to give back to you because you've blessed me so much in my life and we generously give. And you know what else? He notices when we're grumpy with our giving too. This is mine and you want a percentage of it? Really, God? Really? Folks, I really do dream of the day in which everyone at the jar becomes percentage givers. Until they get to the point where they're at a tithe and some of you are beyond a tithe. Because when that day comes, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God could do in this church. Now we only have one more thing to do. That's collect the offering. And we actually wanted to have you feel the seriousness of the offering this particular week. Because you know, if you've ever been to the jar and if you're visiting for the first time, most of the time uh, we talk about two or three things. We say, hey, we're going to take an offering. And then I just start teaching and we just pass it by. No big push into it at all. But this week, because the story that Jesus tells of standing at a treasury offering box, we said, why don't we put the light actually on the offering? Now, some of you right away are like, oh, man, I wasn't prepared for this. It's okay. 
God knows. And some of you are like, I give electronically or I give every other week and the week this didn't fall on it. It's okay. It's okay. God knows. But Mikey and Derek are just going to kind of lead us through some beautiful music that we can receive the offering today in a sense of reverence. We're just going to let the music kind of wash over us. And we'll receive the offering silently. And I'd encourage you to put your Connect card, any prayer requests you have in there as well. And I'd like each of you to just ask yourself, am I a giver? Am I a percentage giver? Am I joyful when I give? So I'm going to ask the greeters to come forward and they'll just immediately start taking the offering and we'll allow the Holy Spirit to do His work. Now, some of you, whether you realize it or not, you're receiving kind of that same affirmation that I talked about earlier. God say, you're doing great. God is saying, you're doing great. You're a percentage giver. You're tithing or you're working toward a tithe. And please don't hear me saying, please, please don't leave here. Hear me saying that what you give is not enough because... A lot of times, folks, it's enough. It's enough. But what I am saying is that this is a thing between you and God. Ultimately, this isn't about you and the church. It certainly isn't about you and me. But it's between you and your Heavenly Father. Folks, giving is one of the most personal experiences that you can ever have in the Christian life. I mean, when you stand at your bed and you pray, nobody sees that. But God does. And when you do secret acts of service, you care for a neighbor or you reach out to a co-worker and you serve them. Nobody else may notice that, but God does. And no one ever sees the check that you write or the percentage that you put down, but God does. And for some of you, God's saying today, out a boy, out a girl. You give joyfully. I'm so thankful. And for others of you, God is saying, you could trust me more. 
If you just trusted me more, I would open up the windows of heaven and bless your lives in greater ways. So wherever we've been, let's step up and let's go. And so I pray that today you would hear whatever God wants you to hear. Not from me, not from the church, whatever God wants you to hear. And you would respond. Deal? Deal. Let's stand for closing prayer. I invite our prayer team to come up. If they could come up and uh, have some prayer. And today is our uh, first steps with Chris. So if you're brand new, uh, if you can just go through this doorway and the first hallway on your left, you can turn down there. I'd love to meet you. It'll only take 15, 20 minutes. We'll be done and uh, you'll be out of here. But we'd love to meet you and kind of connect with you that way. Um, So let's pray. Loving Father, thank you so much for providing for us. You are such a good and generous God. And we are so thankful, God, for the way that you provide for our needs. And we say thank you. God, you have never given to us anything that wasn't your best. You've always given your best to us. And even on your darkest day, when you allowed your son to go to a cross, even on that day, you gave your best. You didn't hold back. And for that, God, we are eternally grateful. God, forgive us when we become grumpy or when we become tight with our resources. We're sorry, God. Help us to know how to be more generous. God, I thank you today for the offering that we received and every single person that has given or they give at other times. Bless their lives, God. God, most of all, on this day, thank you for the 13 lives that are being changed for eternity. And we get to celebrate today. Help us to continue to be generous. That more lives might be changed for your honor and for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you're new, we have a free gift for you at Guest Connection. Stop by there. We'd love to give that to you. And uh, have a great week. Know you're loved in this place.